What's going on, good people? It's your host, Jono the Giant, welcoming you to another episode of the Giant Fundamentals podcast, where we discuss black man struggles, healing the inner child, and becoming the man that you deserve. Now, before we even start this episode, please feel free to subscribe and to share this podcast and this episode with as many people as many black men as possible. What's going on, fellas? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? The giant. Mr. J. Vavalin with our special guest, Matt Genius. <laughs> What's good? Yes. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for uh, sharing the platform with me. You nah, so thank you for <laughs> I miss what Jerry said. I'm sorry. I was texting my wife. So what'd you say? My bad, man. I, forgive you. We forgive you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all here now. I had to make sure I get that message out to the wifey. That's what's up, man. Well, we definitely uh, appreciate you coming here. I know Jono had some words of acknowledgement. No, I was just saying the same thing. Like, just appreciate you coming on, taking the time, because I know I actually super last minute. Um, and you're always, you're always eager and willing to, you know, to collaborate, get on, to make music, to do a video, to do a conference. I don't know, to do everything. You know, you're yes, always sir. willing to, to collaborate. So, man, I definitely appreciate you yes, coming sir, on man. such short notice, man. Many hands make light work, man. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh. Uh, I just want to quickly introduce you. Uh, this is uh, my fellow colleague, but more than that, a brother, Matt Genius. Licensed marriage and family therapist. So all the all the gems that I be dropping and things that I be saying, inspired by Matt because you are one of the, yeah you yeah one out of the two people that really put me in this direction of becoming a LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist. Man, hey, say that again, baby. Say it again. LMFT, LMFT. Licensed, licensed marriage and family therapist. Man, that's big, man. Show me that's your big. license. <laughs> for those who know, man, for those who know, there's, there's not a lot of us, man. When you were in your program, how many people were in your program that look like you? Bro, one, and that was me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, man, I'm proud of you, man. You, you did it. You, Bro. That's amazing. Yeah, man. Yes, yes, for sure. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was, that was a really great time in my life, man, because it's like coming from that very strict religious culture. And then learning the information that I've learned, it's like it really opened my eyes to a different type of education. And it made me who I am today. Like literally, I think everything makes us who we are, but that right, that component right there, it was so rich. It's like my eyes are open for the first time. Facts, yeah. I started preaching yeah. differently. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's true. It would do that. For I sure. started preaching differently, man, because uh, it was just so much information that I wanted to make sure that we tapped into when it comes to mental wellness that yeah. our peoples don't necessarily get. And so we, we they give us the platform. They give us the opportunity to speak in front of hundreds of people, you know. And so I'm like, let me go ahead and sneak some of this mental health stuff in there as well. For sure. For yeah. sure. No. So man, let, most depth. let me ask you, what, what drove you to get into to be a therapist, mental wellness, is this something that you always wanted to do growing up? Not really, man. I want to be a gangster, nigga. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, why, that's why I was throwing up. What a steal. 
the LFNT gang signs in the beginning. Hey, of the- listen, man, my, my my environment was like so pointing me in the in the direction of just going in the streets and just being the the, the savage of the savage. You know, and I think by the time I got to my junior year in high school, it was just like uh, a lot of people are dying. You know, like people were people were legit dying, man. Like I had legit. a lot of peers. From middle school, dying. Of course, my brother's in the street too. I kept having to see him go in and out of prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one real bad traumatic experience was taking my nephew to go see him, see his dad. I think my nephew was two, and to go see him behind those glass, man. And my nephew was, remember that uh, that Marvel X Men Magneto when he was pulling that gate because he, yeah. it was like that, brother. I'm telling you, my nephew was, you know, Tony, man. He was crying his yeah. eyes out, didn't want to leave because he couldn't physically touch his, his dad and I'm like man I don't never want to go through this you know that was part of it and and, and I got introduced to psychology my, that that same year junior year uh in a class called law studies and big psych yeah yeah and that's when I, <laughs> that's when the name first came out big psych because I was attracted to psychology mm-hmm. and that class was different man it was a class where we did mock trials you know you set up a class like a courtroom everybody had to pick a role I just got lucky and picked the role of a psychiatrist mm. who was defending a woman that murdered her husband mm. and so I'm like you got me already you got murder in there let's go let's talk about it and so each character whatever you select you have to do the research read the transcripts and these were real stories they just redacted the names and whatever and I'm reading through it and I'm like oh this is good she did what oh shoot you know I'm like this is juicy you know this is the Zen, right? The Haitians love the Zen, right? And so there was a word yeah. that stuck out to me that I that I never heard before. That word was learn helplessness. You know, mm. learn helplessness is a terminology that I'm like, they don't sound like they're supposed to be together. How you learn helplessness, you know? And when I did research in my young adolescent brain, what I found out was that this is an individual who, who has accepted a hopeless situation as their own reality. They have learned how to make space for the hopelessness and not believe that anything can get better outside of the reality that they're in. And I'm like, man, that's every day. I see that every day. Mm-hmm. I was like, that chick right there shouldn't be with that guy. She black as, I mean, he, you know, her eyes get blackened every other week, you know? And I'm like, why are you still, that's learned helplessness. You know, people who don't want to be in the environments they're in, but they stay there, that's learned helplessness. You know, a lot of us who accept a reality that's not healthy for us, learn helplessness. And so I'm like, bro, this is insane. You know, this actually is telling me what people are doing without me having to speak to them, I can see it by their actions, by their words, by their attitudes, what condition they're in. And I'm like, man, I'm intrigued. I want to learn about psychology. John don't know. I trained, I, I was rapping back then too. So I'm like, big psych. That's when the name came out, big psych. And ever since then, man, I was attracted to learn about the brain and behaviors and, and emotions and how they all intermingle. And so when I got to college at FAMU, I, I declared a psychology major. And that's the beginning. Mm. Wow. It, it, it's it, it's it's interesting to me how our environment and our upbringing can give us the alley oop to what we're going to be doing later on in the future. Because you didn't go directly to psychology, like I mean, you end up getting a degree in theology and all these different right. things, but and you had a minor in psychology, right? right? And I and and eventually, you know, you went back to the thing that sparked your your educational right. interest right. okay and it is for me it was a little different because growing up in the family that I grew up in where I didn't grow up with my siblings nor did I grow up with my parents it was just my grandmother my uncle and my aunt who are both disabled 
I always felt like the outsider everywhere I went. So even growing up at our church that we grew up in at Hebron, it's like I saw the DeSources, I saw the Henrys, right. I saw the Perpignans, the Joseph. I saw all of these families, and it was like clusters of families, and right. I was just the outside looking in. Right. And from there, I was able to observe certain behaviors that they would have amongst siblings and parents, so on and so right. forth. So I developed a a very unique perspective right. in terms of like the outside looking in. But like you, I didn't go straight to, you know, being an LMFT, going to right. a formative family therapy. You know, I had my journey going through religious education, so on and so forth. So that's just, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I ran away from it too. You know, when I got to FAMU, man, I, I had a scholarship and everything, man. I was the, on the easy track, man, on the easy track. All I had to do is show up to class, give decent grades. But leaving South Florida, brother, man, I was, I had a lot of emotions that I never unpacked it. You know, I was angry. I got jumped two weeks before I graduated high school. Shout out to the guys who jumped me. Hey. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, I got robbed my junior year as well. So I carried a lot of that going up to FAMU. And honestly, man, I just didn't want to blow it. You know, it took a lot for me to just leave South Florida. And now I'm in Tallahassee. I didn't want to get triggered so that anger could come out. And it did in a couple of instances, but I was just like, man, this is not who I am. You know, this is this is really tiring. And I know it can cost. You already know how it goes in South Florida. You fight one person, they come back, they jump you, you bring your boys, you jump them. Somebody gets shot, somebody else gets shot. It keeps going until we got a bunch of dudes in the casket. And I'm like, I can't deal with the cycle. So it was a it was a business decision in my mind to to where I'm like, okay, I got jumped. What do I want to do? Do I want to go to college? Do I want to see, you know, do I want to go to funerals? What do I want to do? And so I went to college, but I didn't, I never had a chance to address the anger, you know, the resentment, all of the emotions that I had, the anxiety of getting robbed and pistol whip, man. They, they, they took the gun and right there on my head, you know what I'm saying? So there was a lot of emotions that I didn't manage and I, and I kind of medicated it just by music. You know, I was, I was in a studio in the lab at family, like every day missing class. One time I the one time I remember being in class, I fell asleep in class and they left me in there. The whole class left and I'm still in class like <laughs> the professor was like, hey, it's your money. I get paid regardless. You know, I'm not gonna babysit anybody. And so it was some hard lessons, man, you know, and but psychology was still it. I declared psychology major, you know, I got put out the program at FAMU as well. And then I went to TCC, got my associates. And then that's when I eventually went to Oakwood, studied theology, and I had a second major in psychology as well. Awesome. Awesome. You said a lot of different things. And, you know, for the listeners out there, um, you went to Central, right? Yeah. Rockets. Yeah. yeah it's one of the hardest schools in, in South Florida, in Miami to be part of. So I understand right. that jumping culture. Um, and you talked about visiting your, uh, I guess, your older brother in jail. Right. Um, and I have my own experience of visiting people in jail and like, you know, going to TGK, going through, getting, you know, having the dog sniff you to make sure you don't have contraband. <laughs> right. You know, actually, you know, we always see it on the movies where you got to talk on the phone, but actually right. do it. Yeah, man. Last, it's a whole nother experience. It's, so it's rough. How did you, I guess, through your lifetime, especially during the during those years where you're transitioning from high school to college, um, what what are some of the steps you took to like? I guess, work through those feelings if you ever did. 
at that time. Yeah, I had a great big brother, man. He was in the street, but he really cared about us in his own way. You know, he made sure that no one in the street would adopt us, meaning like we we, we couldn't get a pass. If we got caught in the street lacking, he'd be like, you know, he'll skin us, you know what I'm saying? So we had to make sure that we weren't in that street mentality as much as we'd love to. And so he did that for my brother and, and he tried for my sister. He failed miserably. My sister was a G out there in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah. was one of the worst ones out of all of us, man. But honestly, when I got to college and I got kicked out of FAMU, I was around 21, 22. And he, um, I called him. He was, he was out of prison. He was up again. You know, his, his connect hooked him up, whatever he was doing well. So I was like, I was like, man, listen, man, I'm I'm 22, 23 now. What's up, man? And he's like, come through. Mm -hmm. He was he actually gave me that pass to come. And I promise you, in my mind, I'm like, bro, my brother and I were to have been in them streets, we'd have made some major moves, you know what I'm saying? Because we are two different people. Right. Like he's very, he's he's very uh, I would say goal-oriented, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm more analytical. I take my time and you know, and so we 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 were we were definitely you know, energies that could have made, you know, some good moves and decisions. I would have brought the calm out of him, you right. know, but he would have brought the G out of me even more, you know? And so um, I remember waiting to buy that Greyhound ticket, you know, from Tallahassee to South Florida. And right. honestly, man, it was just a couple of inter interventions from family, friends. Pastor James was one of them. Uh, John o, Pastor James called me from, uh, yeah, he called me from Michigan. He was at Andrews at the time. Dude called me and he was like, man, what you doing with your life? And I was like, man, I'm about to go to South Florida. I told him what it was. He's like, man, you should just come to Andrews. I'm like, nah, I'm good. They don't want this person at Andrews. And mm -hmm. But I think that night when I went to sleep, I was wrestling with the idea of going back to South Florida and getting involved with what I know was I was going to get involved with and going somewhere else. And the tug of war pulled me towards going north. You know, I went to Oakwood instead where you know, I studied theology and it was just the environment that I was in, the church that I was in, the people that were around me kind of pushed me and supported me to, to really do something different. Don't throw the gifts that I have away. Don't throw the talents that I have away to really impact lives and, and create changes. And so I, I think by the time I got to Oakwood, I'd be like my third year, second, second year up there was when I first went to see a counselor. You know, mm -hmm. to deal to deal with a lot of the unpacking of my anxiety, my anger, my depression, even, you know. So to answer your question, it took a while, brother. Man, I, I didn't know that that's what I was dealing with because I didn't really have the understanding from anybody outside to care about me enough to be like, Matt, bro, you got an anger issue, bro. You you know, you 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 be spazzing, you know, because honestly, I wasn't around a lot of people so it could come out. I right. isolated a lot. John and I were talking about that earlier. And so yeah, by the time I got to Oakwood, you know, it just was a close friend of mine be like, Matt, you'd be, you know, you just be snapping sometimes. I'm like, what, for real? And I'm like, oh man, not me, right? <laughs> and they made me see something about myself that I was ignoring, you know, the you know, the the hurts that I carried, the you know, resentment that I carried, the anxiety that I still had, the paranoia from being robbed, all of it was still inside of me, man. And when I went to therapy. For the first time, I had a black man in front of me. And I was like, what? He was asking me uh, like a bunch of questions. And I lied through the skin of my teeth. I lied on every answer. I'm like, <laughs> that's, no the Florida, that's the Florida in me, man. I'm like, I don't know you, man. I don't know what you got. Really? Nah, I, nah, I ain't never do that. What? Nah, me? Nah. 
So I lied the first session, man. And then when I came back the second session, he's like, I know you weren't being honest. And, you know, and it takes a while for vulnerability to build between black men. And so he gave me that space, man. That was the first time I actually cried in a public setting, you know, like for real, for real. Like, like, you know, real tears, man. I let it out. I was I was purging some of the emotions that I never addressed. And, you know, I really started my healing journey around 26, brother, 26, 27, you know, and so. No, yeah. that's definitely amazing. And I, I think this next question that I have is is basically for both of you guys as professionals, because a lot of people that I talk to, they were like, man, this person's been going to therapy for years. It doesn't seem like it's working for them. And I don't know, even though I don't know that personal, that person personally, I should say, yeah. I would say, well, they're probably lying to their therapist, right? Yeah. And that's a natural from my own experience in therapy, that's like a natural tug to, especially being from South Florida, not being friendly, right. can't trust nobody. You're, you're, the first two sessions are probably getting through the lies. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you know, what is what are your guys' experiences and how do you combat that patient that may be, or I don't want to say patient, but that client or that, that person that's coming to you guys for therapy that they may be withholding the truth? Yes. Uh, for me, well... I just, I just keep it simple. Honestly, I just let them lie. Wow. Yeah, I just let them lie, but I just, I'm able to keep their story. And along the way, they're always going to like say something to contradict. So what ends up happening is I said, oh, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I remember last time you said X, Y, and Z, or just earlier in a conversation, you said X, Y, and Z. So which one is it? And that's how they kind of just rope themselves. Um, but like Matt said, sometimes it takes a couple of sessions, man. It really does. And I and honestly, I just use self-disclosure. That's one of my the big things that I use. Like, yo, like, you know, I did this and that and too. And then, so it just opens it up for it to feel like a safe environment for them. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 an interesting scenario, man. When I when when you know a client is lying, but you just don't want to. Sometimes calling them out is worse than actually not, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like, oh, I can't believe he called me out like that, man, you know, in front of my girl too, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, you know, John was right, man. Sometimes we just have to let them trip over their own own selves. Uh, uh, but the other part of it, of what you said, was that, you know, people go to therapy and you don't see no changes. It's, it, it may not just be the honesty from them. It may just be the effectiveness of the therapist. Jono and I were in programs where some of our counterparts really shouldn't be in this in this field. You know, some of, some people, this is not for them, you know, and some people may not know how to create safe spaces for individuals to actually create change. And it takes a skilled individual to create an environment that's conducive of truth, you know, and and that takes, like I said, work on our part. You know, I had to learn how to be safe for Black men. When Black men come in my office, man, I used to love this dance, this exchange we used to do. It's like they used to square me up. They used to be like, man... You know, man, who this? All right, so so you my therapist, right? They 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 do that dance where they sizing me up, looking at me like, all right, so what you, what kind of shoes you wearing? All right, okay, you got on some Tims, yeah, all right, you know, <laughs> you know, you know like, <laughs> and, and then yeah, and then self disclosure, man. You know, when I get a chance to share with them that I'm from South Florida, you know, went to Central, FAMU, some of the experiences I had, and I went to therapy myself, dealing with anger, anxiety. They'd be like, all right, man, you you're you're a real person too, you know. And I, it had to be the the authenticity of me becoming fully me, being fully transparent. I was at a practice called Beachstone Counseling in a suit, 
And I'm like, what am I doing, man? Like, come on, Matt. In, in the box, because this is how they teach you. They teach you how to fit in that box. And that's what I was doing. I showed up five days a week in South Florida, hot as it was, in a suit, bow wow. ties, and everything. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, this, this is not a good business model for me, man. I don't feel good in my own skin. Walking to the beach in a suit with my clients. I'm like, nah, this is so obvious that, you know? Right. <laughs> you know? And so I had to... That's that colonized version of therapy, right. man. That's what you're saying, right. the colonized version of therapy. Yeah, man. You know, it was whitewashed for real. And so I had to yeah. I, I had to find me first. And when I found me, it was easier for, for me to create safe spaces for people to just be honest and, and fully transparent. When I share my story of navigating through drug and gang violence in my community as a kid, dropping out of high school, to speaking to over 100 juvenile detention centers and schools in the country, sharing my story in countries like Haiti and Malawi, Africa, and becoming a licensed marriage and family therapist, people always ask me, how did I do it? If you want to know so you can make massive change in your life as well, click the link in the show notes to my book, When Giants Get Fed Up, From Anger to Ambition. And once you've read it, please feel free to leave me a rating and review. That was awesome. Awesome. I, I want to, uh, even with that, we talk about being honest and transparent. I think, uh, well, not I think, well, one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on here is because of our relationship over the course of the years I don't know for how long, but I mean, for those that don't know, you know, we, you know, we grew up together um, where you were like four or five years older than me. But as we, I think when you came from fam, fam, you, you know, that's when we really started to connect right. and you became, you became a mentor for me because there was really, it was you. And then there was Sony after that, there was really no one else to like aspire to look up to or to give game to, or to see like, oh man, okay, you know, change is possible. Like you let me see that, oh, okay, like change is possible. And um, from there, you know, we connected and, you know, we we grew together. And you also, like I said, like you the reason why I went to Oakwood, right. you the reason why I went to uh, Nova for marriage and family therapy. So it's kind of like I was following behind your footsteps. Right. And, um, and then we did some, we did a, a good number of things together, conferences and things like that. But uh, we had a, a, a spat, an issue, right? That was lingering. And I don't, I don't feel like it was really that. Well, it was long as far as the grand scheme, right? right? But it was definitely an issue that I can just take responsibility and say that I wasn't courageous enough to have a conversation with you during that time right and i think it's very important for us to even like talk about that situation because you know a lot of black men we we don't know how to communicate frustrations we don't know how to communicate failed expectations we don't know how to communicate period to one another like you said like them boys jump you in high school that's how we deal with things. It's like, you know, <laughs> we fight or we just, as we get older, we're not that fighter anymore. We just avoid and just the relationship just dies. Right. Not realizing that 
if we can come to the table together and we can talk about exactly what transpired and we give one another space to express how, you know, we felt as individuals, what we saw, then there's so much growth that can come from that conversation, but we're just not equipped. We've never been equipped to know how to have those conversations. Right. And I wanted to use this opportunity as we just created a, a, a mega hit, make a <laughs> meal, you know, yes, you track this out, streaming on all major platforms, you yeah. know, uh, make a meal, the song. And I will definitely put it at the end of this episode so people can hear. Right. Um, and just how all of that came together, how it almost didn't happen yeah. because the pride and the ego and the yeah. unresolved issues from the past. So I'll just give you the floor to share, you know, your side of it, your thoughts of it, just even with the song, like how it almost didn't come about. Got you, man. Listen, man, this is such an important conversation. Um, and I'm glad you brought it back to the Hebron days, because I think for me, that's where our relationship really blossomed, man. I, I was very uh, immature based on the environments that I frequent, man. Like my, my goal was just to be, you know, the player's player. <laughs> I just wanted to be the international player of the year at one point in time. And so I didn't have the wherewithal to be a good role model. But when I went to FAMU experiencing some of the things I experienced and remember, I'm the youngest of four, so I don't have nobody under me, you know? And I, I always felt the mistreatment of people that were older than me to, to, to those who were younger than them. You know, I'm like, man, you don't gotta, why you gotta do, why you gotta, why you gotta do me like that? But then why you gotta do this jit like that? Why, you know, why you gotta do? And so my, I was always a defender of the underdog and I'm an underdog. And, and so I remember when I got out, it felt good to be outside of South Florida, you know? And I remember when I did used to come back from FAMU or from Oakwood, I remember like always happy to see you guys and encourage you guys to like, man, leave. Leave, 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 leave. Whatever you do, just leave. Get an experience of being somewhere else. And, you know, shout out to Pratt because Pratt was the one who went before me. Pratt went to Pratt went to Oakwood. Pratt went to Nova. The difference between me and Pratt and you and myself is that Pratt didn't give me the assist that I really needed. You know, like I, I you know, like I, like he could have for real. He, he gave me some, he pointed me in the direction, but he didn't necessarily like really help me out because I, I didn't even know how to navigate certain things. And, you know, I appreciate what he, he he did for me, but you know, when I got to Oakwood, it wasn't necessarily him who who advised me to go up there. When I got up there, it wasn't necessarily that he was really looking out for me too. But it, it, you know, I'm happy that he had that pathway already carved out. And so, a person from South Florida in these spaces weren't foreign. And then at Nova too, they already knew Pride. And then I came in after him, and it's the same thing. And so, I wanted to have an, a, diff, a different hand of extension towards people I cared about, just coming up after me, man. This, 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 uh, the saying "each one teach one" has been a part of our lives for a very long time, and I took that literally. So, if I can make it out and make something of myself, and I see potential in my brothers. Man, let's go. Whether it was rapping, I remember we did that song, uh, The Bronze, you know, that we never really finished, right? And you did that intro for me. I'm like, bro, this dude got a voice. I'm like, yo, let's. And so the music was natural between the two of us, you know? And, and I always encourage you to just go for it because I knew you had talent. But for me, the, the, the ill treatment that I received, I'm like, I can't see myself being that person to anyone who's younger than me. I, ha I have big brothers, I have big sisters. They won't lie to you, man. They, you know, they, you know, they used to 
much as much as they could. And then, of course, it wasn't just them. It was just anybody who had the opportunity to just be someone of a role model. There wasn't a lot of those, you know. And so I'm like, man, I got to be different. Even when I went to FAM, I was in a band transitioning from a freshman to upperclassman. The underclassmen that were under me, man, I, you know, I cared for them. I protected them because there were only a few people who did that for us. And so every opportunity I saw myself in a position of any type of role model or mentor or anything like that, I'm like, I can't be what I've experienced. The experience wasn't pleasant for me, so I couldn't be that to people that were looking up to me. And so our relationship, you know, of course, started off as friendship. But when I got out, I'm like, man, Jono has exactly what I have, if not more, let me help get this brother out too. And so that was my mindset for extending whatever I extended to you, man. It was, you know, no benefit to me outside of seeing us win. If I win, you win, we all win it. You know, you know the expression, if I eat, everybody eat, right? And so that was my mentality. And so when when it came down to the song, it was such an easy song to, to rhyme to, you know, when I heard that beat, I'm like, oh, John, I'm going to murder this. And I thought about you automatically. And I, and I had another guy on there too, and then, so I sent you the beat and you was like, oh, it's fire. And then I, and then I think the next day you had your verse recorded, right? And so that's how the momentum was going. And then we had, you know, just one thing getting the way to where, where my mind is, where my consciousness is. I like to make sure that my content is for the generations after me. And what I mean by that is I'd like to see the consciousness of hip hop, of Blacks, you know, of African descent, our our understanding is that we have something that's special, that's outside of everybody else, you know, that is unique for us. And so, and in my songs, I try to elevate the consciousness of our people by making sure I speak about our, you know, our past that's that's worth highlighting and our present that's worth highlighting, and then extend it to the future of us succeeding as well. And so, you know, it was one thing to where. I, I loved it, man. My my kids ate up the verse. They were reciting it every every time and in the kitchen, fork and knife, spoon and plate. They can recite the entire verse. And I'm like, but I got to do this because it wasn't sitting well with my conscience to actually let this one line survive the end of time. Because this song, what, what I'm forecasting is that this is going to be played by our kids' kids. They're going to be like, granddad has some bars. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I want them to have that understanding that we were conscious when we did this. We had an understanding of who we were now, who we were then, and who they will be in the future. So uh, I asked, man, I was like, man, I gotta be real with myself. And I, I had to ask for one line to be edited. And, you know, it wasn't received in the way I thought it would be received. And then I was like, you know, you, you asked me, it's like, so what you wanna do? What you want me to do? <laughs> no, like, that's yeah. not what happened. Hey, you revisionist history, man. <laughs> That's not what happened. Yeah. So go ahead, no, plug you, it in. Okay, plug it okay, in. all right. So you did ask me. You yeah. asked me like, can I change? Oh yeah, you said you're going to think about it. You said you're going to think no, about no, it. No, 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 no. I said, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what I can do. Right. But I did say, but if I can't think of anything, I'm gonna leave it the way it is. And you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, cool. Uh -huh. And then, um, honestly, I don't think I put a lot of effort to really edit it. <laughs> I appreciate the transparency, man, because I'm like, bro, you're so gifted. It would, it would have been nothing. For you to like no but here's the thing here's the thing it's right. like now that i know you know right. i have an issue with being rigid like right. a major you know the obsessive compulsive personality disorder right. like being rigid is one of the main characteristics so in my mind i was like yo this thing is already good why yeah. am i changing it yeah so i already came in it with that mindset so yeah. i wasn't open-minded at all 
Right. You know what I'm saying? I was, it is so crazy because when I actually, when we actually came back to it, I actually changed it. I was like, dang, it was just so easy. Like, literally, I changed it in like two minutes, bro. <laughs> literally, it was just so, I was like, dang, why was so hard the first time? Pause for a second. But pause for a second. Pause for a second because mm-hmm. I think you made a really great point in the effort that was lacking from the first encounter versus the effort that you added in the second encounter. Imagine how many relationships, friendships, business partners, you know, could have been where they could have been yeah. if we would have got out of our way and actually made those changes that were necessary. Yeah. No, it one million percent. And I and I, I remember telling Jerry, I was like, man, this thing I'm not tripping though. He wanna change this one line. I'm like that. Jerry like, oh, I don't. Jerry not saying no, he wanna give you just like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I think I think both of you guys bring up a great point, and this right. is something that me and John talked about, right? Right. Growing up the way we grew up in the West Indian culture and religious, right? We don't realize that two people can have a difference of opinion and both be right. Right. And going back to the Bible, I always like the verse that says, Come, let us reason together. Right. What you guys realize is that from a high level, principle-wise, you guys know that yo, we're friends, we're family you know, let us figure it out instead of right. us, us being stubborn yeah. and not understanding each other's perspective. Yeah. To your point, man. I ain't want to figure it out. I ain't want to figure it out. And, that, and that's fine. <laughs> but through time, yeah. you guys were able to figure it out because yeah. you had a, you know, you have your awareness and then you had the realization. Um, but I didn't want to get in between. I was just like, hey, I know, I'm, I know. Yeah. Like, Jerry, that's why I was telling John earlier, I'm like, man, Jerry's a real one, man. Because, you know, you, you made it happen to where, you know, whatever Jono needed from me, you know, you, you made the call, you know, you, you made the, sent the text, you know, yeah. and you were just, and I was like, man, this is a good dude, man. You're a really good friend. And I appreciated you for that because honestly, man, Jono has always been valuable to me, man, as a friend, as a brother, you know, as a person who I can rely on, you know, clutch, you know what I'm saying? And so, and I knew this even before he went to Oakwood, you know what I'm saying? And was in leadership positions and everything. I'm like, this dude's clutch. Uh, but I don't think you saw it in yourself the way I saw it in you, you know? Mm. And so for me, it, it's hard to force feed a reality to a person when they're not ready, you know? Ooh. Yeah, man. And so like, I'm like, bro, I, I, where I put you, where I put you in the state and that, and that's on me because I, I put you there without necessarily making sure you're ready to get there. In my mind, this is where you were. Uh, and it was hard for me to not accept that reality of you being where I saw you, you know? Yo, it's so crazy that you say that. Two reasons. Right. One, because I'm just being real. I've recently, like in the last two years, seen my true power. Right. Right. Yeah. And two, I think people like us who want to see our colleagues, our friends, people that we see have massive potential, people, we want to see them win. We automatically put them in the space that we see them in our minds, and we kind of neglect the reality of where they are. And I say it's so interesting. I said it because the same thing happened with Jerry and I too. Right. Like we decided to do business together, and I was like, "Yo, I just saw, I saw his gifts, I saw his talents, like deal with sales, deal with people, so on and so forth." Like, "Yo, hey, partner with me, John on the Giant. You can do this and that and that." He was like, "All right," but he wasn't ready for it. Right. Dre wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't in that mental and emotional right. space that he didn't see it in himself. Right. He tried like a Zoe, right. you know, he's going to try and, like, you know, <laughs> but kind of half-heartedly do it. Yeah. But then after a while, it was like, I said, all right, bro, like, you know, 
let's just end the partnership because it's just not working. You know what I mean? But it is like, five years later, now he's stepping into that power. So that's interesting how we do that. Yeah. You know what's yeah. not working? That AirPod. Throw that shit in the trash. <laughs> it's going, it's, it's going, going in and out. out. It's going in and out. And this is a great conversation. It's about to die, bro. That's what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. But no, no, for sure. And you guys both mentioned something. A great point both of you guys are making. And something that I had a realization with Jono this weekend was one of my weaknesses or areas of opportunities, I want to say, is that I care too much and that's how I self-sabotage. Right. So in that moment where you was like, man, I see John, I see his greatness. Right. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. but are you see, using his potential right. to create a narrative that he's not ready for? Right. And I've done that a lot in my life as well. So I can yeah. relate to both of you. Yeah, man. You know, and honestly, man, like there's not a lot of us that make it out, honestly, like to where we can say we have healthy families, we have you know, like healthy bodies, you know, like you see some of the guys your age, you be like, what? You know, like what happened? <laughs> just talking about this. It's not like, yo, what happened? We were talking about that, yeah. Yeah, what happened? So honestly, so to to understand Jono's story is to see real triumph, you know, like for those who know that story, it's to see somebody who overcame a lot. And for me, I'm like, bro, this, you, he's winning, you know, and I just want to be a part of it. You know, to give the alley, man. Honestly, I, I was giving him what I wanted. I saw this, I saw this intervention just recently, man. It said, you gotta tell black men, you gotta tell another black man what it is you would tell yourself. Exactly. And <laughs> so for me, what I was pouring into him was what I wanted back from the people that were around me. So honestly, it was on me too. It you can't just let you take all that L. You know, John, it was on me too, man. I was very ambitious for what I saw in you and Gene. And uh, and uh, what's my and Vince, you know, and a lot of the guys who, yeah, and a lot of the guys who, you know, Vince. I met Vince when he was at uh, Miami Day College getting his associates, you know. Awesome. And so saw that brother through uh, his associates, uh, his his um, his bachelor's program, his master's program, and so forth. And so I I want to see us win, but I think for me, like you said, sometimes Jerry, you care too much, and I realized I said this to Jono that. My ego can't be more important than my mental, you know, my mental and my spiritual state. My ego has to take a backseat to what to what my wellness is. And sometimes my ego was winning and my wellness was losing, meaning I was fighting battles that I shouldn't have to fight. And so I'm like, all right, I got to recalibrate and learn how to just be okay when, you know, somebody's not ready to step into a state that they're not ready for. And when the timing is right, we will all find our way back, you know, which we which we did. I was telling Jono. When I call him, I, you know, his he's in my head, bro. This dude is in my head. When he called me, what he usually says is, for my chew, right? <laughs> That's what he called my dad. He would call, my, he would call me, for my chew. And I'm driving home one day from my office, and I just heard, for my chew. And I'm like, what the? I'm looking wrong. And it was John on my head, and I was like, yo, let me call this dude, man. So I told him that I'm thinking about him, you know, and, and I was telling him, like, yo, man, we got to work this out. Whatever it is, maybe I had a blind spot somewhere, and, you know, and, it, it just went from there. It was in this corner and he eventually made the time and we we spoke and now we're making a meal. And I was like, you see that America? Yeah. I just took what I did the self-disclosure. I could be a therapist. You see and how you we, can, right? let's get it. <laughs> let's go. And shout out to John for always disrespecting the Zos by calling them their first name. Right? 
This cat, dog. Yo, this dude, son. I don't know this. <laughs> what about you? Like in the I face. Really you know, my dad, first of all, I, I, I could understand the love-hate relationship uh, he has yeah. with my dad because you can't trust anybody with two last names, right? <laughs> so he, he would call my, my dad's first name is Etienne. So I remember one time we was at the shop when we was getting the Nissan fix. Yeah. And he was like, all right, Etienne. All right, thank you, Etienne. So my dad is like, he's confused because he's like, First of all, you're not supposed to know that information. And right. secondly, like, you know, you legit. Like, you yeah, ain't. Yeah. So then he was like, okay, Etienne. And then my dad said, hey, hey, wait, one, one second. One second. <laughs> yeah. Said, I'm not a child. <laughs> you address me as my. Uh, right. me say, right. I'm not Etienne to you. <laughs> right. But it, it's just. It's, huh? you, you, you know, that situation with your dad, what happened was I called him Etienne before oh. at the church. And he oh, is like it stunned him. He was he he didn't know what to say. But I think when I called him that again, he was ready for me that time. Yeah, at the he, shop. he had his dialogue ready. No, but, but you know, it's because let me tell you something. Dumbzos never had respect for me. So when I got older, I'm like, you got respect for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have no respect for you. You know, that's that's what it is. That's what it is. I'm glad. But um, I, I think that this conversation as a whole is is like I said from the beginning, it's very important because. We miss out. I'm not even talking about like forget money, forget business, forget that type of stuff. Forget about the economics of the the black male relationship. Forget all that. I'm just talking about in terms of like mental, emotional, and spiritual richness. We miss out on that because we don't know how to have conversations when there is conflict right and it's not it's not by any chance that yo so many black men are so lonely right man it's not by chance yeah and we just so we're just so quick to cut off relationships like very quick to cut off relationships without really number one examining the situation at hand is it really that deep Right. And then number two, examining ourselves and looking like, yo, where did I go wrong in this situation? And where is there space for me to grow? Right. But we don't we're not at that level of emotional maturity right. to have that dial that 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 monologue with ourselves. And as a result, we miss out on lifelong relationships and brotherhood. Oh, I definitely agree. And I want uh Matt, I want you to touch on this because you talked about consciousness. Um, and I know you and your wife are on this like spiritual journey as far as African studies. And right. John mentioned decolonizing therapy, right? right. So when yeah. it comes to uh, Black men and Black people in general. So like, what is your journey? Like what led you to that spiritual walk? And then if you could point on what John said about um I guess when we go through a certain pain, we're so quick to cut that arm off or that that pain off without actually going through that process. Pause for a second, man. Get his brother a night show, man. Like, come on, <laughs> man, with these questions, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to watch you every night, son. Like, yo, this is really good, man. Um, uh, just get all my interviews done from you, man. Honestly, like the, the journey, the journey started with just fatigue, man. Like, have you ever registered? Ooh registered in your mind your body your soul your spirit that you're just tired 
of rinsing and repeating, rinsing and repeating. It feels like Groundhog's Day over and over and over. Mm. And I felt like there was no growth for me. Like I capped in the SDA culture. I capped as a Christian, like, man, I'm, what am I doing? You know, I'm on stage, not even believing what I'm preaching people, you know? Mm. And so, you know, and then I was the contradiction too. And I'm like, when I start to become what I saw in front of me, I'm like, right, it's time for me to go. Cause we witness a lot of people in the hypocrisy of them being on stage saying one thing and then being outside doing something else. And I'm like, I cannot find myself aligning with that. And so my wife and I sought out greater truths, you know, and the pandemic was very helpful for that because church was closed. And so <laughs> we were like, all right, man, it's a great time to jump ship. And so we called our pastor at that time and we had a conversation with him because we had a good relationship with him mm -hmm. and told him what was on our mind and, you know, what we were thinking about. And he blessed us, man. He was like, listen, I'm happy for you guys. You know, I'm happy that you guys have shared your lives with the people who you have shared your life with. You guys were very impactful in the state and the positions that you guys were in, you know, go, go forward and do great things. And, and that felt good. It felt different from what I received from the Haitian culture. Cause it's like, Oh, Mui, Mako no, like you're dead to us. <laughs> so, so the studies took us to really find out what was what were we doing before our encounter with Christianity. And, and it took us back to Haiti. My wife and I started Haitian preservation, I think in 2020, the fall, or late 2019, coming into 2020. And then we really started doing research on our, our Haitian culture. And of course, you can't dig too deep in Haitian culture without finding voodoo, right? You know, and voodoo is just a child of African spirituality, one of the children. You know, and so when we were diving deep, it was like, so what what is it that we were supposed to be afraid of? When you really dive into the culture, it's beautiful, it's natural, it's it's them having a relationship with the land, with the air, with the water, with the fire, with with the sun, with the moon, and them understanding how it benefits them, them understanding and and listen, to be a naturalist is to understand the land anyway, you know, to to have a great relationship, to cultivate the land, to be a farmer, which my grandfather was a farmer. Uh, and my great grandfather was a farmer. My dad, you know, he had a jardin, couple spaces in our backyard, right? Oh, but but these are people who are herbalists that we'll call them. But they were also people who practice spirituality. Mm -hmm. And I think without fully going too deep, we just found a freedom in knowing that what felt natural for us was something that people made us fearful of. So that pathway of coming back home to it just felt like so welcoming, so natural. And, and then of course, once I started to grow in my understanding of African spirituality, I was like, man, I got to change the way I speak to black men. I got to change the way I, I relate to black women. I got to change the way I relate to myself. And so that shift for me allowed me to then become a different type of therapist where I do remember all of the modalities, but I pull away some of the structures that kind of allows us to be so rigid. No, it's this, you know, I'm like, nah, it may not be this for you. And so let me understand you more and help you understand your own mind, help you understand your own spirit. And so help you forecast the journey that's right for you. And then I just get out the way, you know, I give you the tools and equipment. So where when once you leave me, you, you probably won't need me ever again. You know, that's my hope. And so I want to decolonizing mental health and psychology and all this is making sure people understand that the gift is already within them. Mm. So that they come to us. All we're supposed to do is awaken that gift, the understanding that, bro, you want to heal? Go outside more, drink some more water, you know, exercise, you know, do some push-ups, right? Have a conversation, <clears throat> learn how to forgive, learn how to let these things go. 
And once you have those tools, you can you can actually create your own wellness. Your wellness doesn't have to look like mine, sound like mine, feel like mine. It's up to you to create it. I'm just going to be the assistant to help you build it. Once it's built, it's yours. You know, I can you can come back and fine tune it, but I won't give you anything that's going to be overwhelming for you. I just meet the people where they are as far as helping them understand what some of those conflicts as far as social engineering, right? The programming that we get from religion, education, media, helping them understand, look, your brain is not your own. You haven't been in the driver's seat for all these years since DuckTales, you know what I'm saying? Since, <laughs> since Huey, Dewey, and Louie, you haven't been in the driver's seat, you know what I'm saying? So you got to get a lot of that stuff that we think is entertainment outside of ourselves to not relate with the dominant culture and find what makes sense for you. Finding these understandings, brother, made me feel so light and I mm -hmm. felt so free that I, I wanted it for everyone, but I can't, I, like I said, I, I don't want to force feed anybody something that they're not ready for. It. So I use it in my therapy, not necessarily as the header, but as the subscripts, you know, it's in there. And I use it in my music, not necessarily as a header as well, but all of it is in my music as, as far as the freedom that I've experienced, you know, on, the, on this journey and my relationship with my wife has blossomed, man. From that journey, we got remarried. We reconsecrated our relationship. I wouldn't even call it a marriage. I'll call it a spiritual partnership that allows us to have a freedom of being true to ourselves in a relationship where we really have to hide ourselves in order to be with each other. Ooh. And so it, it's it's a joy, man. And I and it's free. You know, it doesn't cost me anything, but the it, but but the work it takes to maintain it. You know, like you, you get a car, you gotta make you gotta get that oil change, man. You gotta get the tire rotation, you know, you gotta get, you know, you gotta put gas, you gotta do all the things to maintain it. But what do we do to elevate? Once we start to get that maintenance, you know, the maintenance is there. I want to make sure that I'm on trajectory on a trajectory of elevating my mind, my spirit, my body, pushing myself to the limit to where this journey that I'm in will be the best journey because it's the only journey that I have that I'll be cognizant of. I'm not going to remember if I ever come back. You know, I'm not going to remember big psych, Matt genius. I'm not going to remember these faces, you know, right. but I, I want to make sure in this lifetime that I have that I make sure that I create the heaven that I desire right now. Yeah. You you said you said uh you reconsecrated your marriage. You don't call it a marriage anymore. You're saying that is a, a spiritual partnership, right? Right, right. And one thing that you said that really struck me because I felt the same way, it's like you get married and you marry the person from a specific place that you are at that time. Yeah. And then when you are having all these thoughts and all these emotions and thinking like, man, like this is not the version of myself that I want to stay as. Right. Man, it, for me personally, cause I went through that same thing with my wife and our relationship is blossoming now as well. It's at first it's a scary thing. Like for me, it was very scary because my wife was, and still is like the closest person to me that I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. And to think that, I am going to possibly mess this relationship up or the relationship is going to end because I want to make this change was very scary for me. But there came a point in time where I just had to say, man, like, I got to be true to myself. I can't, I can't imagine myself being with this person for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be trapped in this version of myself that I no longer approve of that I want to move on from. So just taking that step and then come to find out, wow, she was feeling the same exact ways. I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah. Okay. And then 
even with that, we've learned how to just accept one another's differences. And man, there's a whole lot of unlearning that needs to be done or that that needed to be done because growing up in a culture that we grew up in, yo, there is no such thing as unconditional acceptance. No. That, it, that just doesn't exist. Right. So that as well, because I've never experienced that, and I've always tried to, well, after my, you know, my, uh, my desert vagabond days, you know, they say, <laughs> after my, you know, my hoodlum days, right. everything I did was performative. Everything I did was to gain acceptance. Right. And now I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm about to lose this because I don't know that unconditional acceptance exists. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I found that by taking a step, and saying like, okay, you know what? I just got to choose myself. Whatever happens, happens. Took that step. And then now she's taking that step with me. Oh, okay, we're on the same page. And it's like for the first time, I'm experiencing this unconditional acceptance that I've never experienced before. Right. And then there's so many other things that I'm experiencing. I'm like, dang, like, yo, we grew up, yo, I don't know how we made it out mentally and emotionally, man. <laughs> yeah. I really don't know how because listen, the I, scar, there's a listen. lot of things that we experience. Uh-huh. Man, it's tough. The scars are still there, you know? Yeah. The scars are still there, man. They're, they're there. And I promise you, it's that work that keeps me healthy because it, it visits me every now and then, brother, you know? Mm-hmm. It visits me every now and then to where I'm like, man, like I feel so empty and I feel so sad, you know? And I feel so alone sometimes because it's like that distance from that identity, that that's all I knew for real. You know, your brother's like, that's all I know, man. That's all I know, man. You know, like, that's all I know. And so sometimes it just feels like I don't want to change to then become an imitation of something else. Right. And so, you know, that you know, I did a song called No ID. You know, like these songs, I haven't had a chance to break down at all. And so just taking a minute, the chorus goes, that boy got that boy got no ID. He has no idea what you get, what you don't know ID. Where's your ID, boy? Right. And so these are conversations that I'm having with myself. You know, I'm looking at myself from the young. I'm like, man, that boy got no ID. He has no idea what you get, what you don't know ID. Where's your ID, boy? And my younger self looking back at me like, what? Man, my <laughs> ID's in me, right? Uh-huh. Like, like he know everything, you know? And it's the duality of think believing that you know everything and and learning that you know nothing right so i i always want to show up as a vessel that's open to learn you know learn open to grow open to purge open to you know assimilate in a healthy way for me first and and i didn't learn how to put me first in a lot of my relationships i always christ you know what's it called good servant leadership christ-like you know like putting others before you yeah you know, like, you know, like I, I'm, I'm done with that because my love for myself has to be priority in order for me to best version for everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't care enough for me to manage my own mental and emotional state, then what am I doing caring for other people? It's hypocritical, but that's how we've been taught. That's how we've been programmed. And so a lot of us catch L's in a relationship because we are so easily ready to please somebody else. You know, and that wasn't working for me. No, I, I think you bring up a you bring up the true essence of humility. You know what I mean? Oh, when, when you talk about the duality of having no ID when you're 
a child or thinking you know everything, but now <laughs> your growth, you understand that you don't know everything, right? right? And I could understand about that servant leadership because in my marriage, I wanted to be Christ. So That's I was right. And now I went through that dark place that John was talking about. Right. I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I'm the part of the men that the marriage didn't work out. Right. right? Where there was like, damn, like I lost everything. Right. Wow. What I thought was everything. Right. And now I'm on the other side and I'm seeing the growth, the happiness, the joy that I have that I never right. thought I would because that dark place was just so dark. There was, like you said, growing up, there was no other example that I could lean on to. Yeah. And it was in a, another role model that I could, uh, you know, rely on right. to, to try to help navigate that. So both of you bring up some great points. I think all three of us bring up the different aspects of a black man's mind. Um, that's, that's powerful, man. That's powerful, man. When I think of that Christ-like model, man, and this mind right now, at least, I laugh. I laugh because I'm like, man, Christ ain't had no hoes, man. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Hey, keep it one hundred, man. Like, I don't want to sound disrespectful or nothing like that, but no, sure. he never, he never got married. Yeah. And if the disciples were married, they never talk about their marriage. You know, right. Paul, Peter, John, Matthew. You never heard about their significant others. You know, right. never heard about their struggles. You never heard of that they, they they didn't wash the dishes and their wives snapped on them. You know, you know, right. you never heard that. Listen, so man. Like, so I'm like, where are these real stories? You know, where? where Let's we're create them. Exactly. So we're copying right. answers. We're copying answers from decades ago of stories that didn't even work for them. Right. You know, there weren't no successful relationship in the Bible as it comes to my knowledge from Genesis mm. to Revelation. All of them were trash. Even the ones that try to highlight as the best ones. They're talking about, um, what about your boy who who worked seven years for, what's it, Ruth? Oh, oh that's Jerry. That's Jerry homeboy. That's Jacob. That's Jerry homeboy. Man, <laughs> kick, kick rocks. He got he got done dirty. He had to work 14 years. 14 years, bro. You know, got two sisters out of it. Yo. You know I'm saying like, nah, man. So on, honestly, like, we don't have those real conversations and we're still trying to make this one model work for everybody. So that's right. why you see a replication of this is what your marriage have to be like. Your marriage have to be like this. And it, and, and everybody's like, yo, it's, it's, it's not working. 60 to 70% of marriages are failing. Mm -hmm. And it's, you, know, you can't blame it on the men. You know, you can't say all, all men are dogs, right? You're talking about lawyers, doctors, attorneys, pastors, you know, teachers, scholars. All these people are failing. I'm trying to say all of them are dogs. All of them are right. bad. So you have to understand it's not it's not the people. It's the system that we adopted that allows us to then find ourselves more in conflict with each other and actually finding harmony and balance with each other. We lost that village mentality. We don't know how important the person to our left and to our right is, so we easily dismiss them. You know, we can minimize a person and not see their hurt because I don't care, I got Facebook, I got IG, you know, I got social media, I can go do some hookah, you know, or whatever your coping mechanism is, and we don't forgive. But man, I I saw this one documentary, not even documentary, it was just a TED talk mm -hmm. about these, you know, these Africans. And um I keep the, the name always escapes me. But their forgiveness was so radical that it it made me feel ashamed. It oh, made me feel about the the country they they were warring for many years. And did they, I did I share that with you before? Yes. I saw it on I saw you shared it on LinkedIn. Okay, yeah. If I did, then it was amazing, man, because instantly to forgive a person who murdered your father and paralyzed you and yeah. a blink of an eye be like, yeah, man, I forgive you. And then they embrace each other right then and there. Like, 
I'm like, where is that even possible? Mm -hmm. But the value that they have for their neighbors is different from what we have for our neighbors here, you know? And so it's easy for them to see that, man, I need you in my life. You know, we sing that song, sing that song all the time in the church. I need you to survive, right? But as soon as you cross them, it's like, I don't need you. You're dead to me, you know? Yeah. So it's not real. And I, and we had to learn how to do something different for the survival of our relationship, for the better example for our kids. They have to see us reconcile. You know, they see us argue. So they got to see us reconcile. They got to see us come to a space mm -hmm. of saying, look, I forgive you. You know, it, it, we, we can grow from this. We can learn from this. And so it, it was a challenge, but that's where we are. No, man, you, you bring up great points. I mean, even talking about your family history, it is like a joke I want to say is like, you literally were training to be Captain Planet. <laughs> As your, you know, you talk about all your, your, your forefathers were farmers and now you're a farmer. Yeah. Now you turn into Nick Cannon with all the kids you got. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know One baby mean? mother though. That's the only aspect hey. that's different, you know? Whoa. Listen, I, I, I could have <laughs> definitely been a Nick, man. I could have definitely been a Nick because I was wild in them streets, brother. 100%. But what, wild now, huh? <laughs> what I wanted to highlight about that is yeah. when you said you were willing to take that chance to look for a greater truth. Right. And then you and your wife reconsecrated your marriage and became a spiritual partnership right did that have like what was that chemistry like that intimacy is that why you guys wanted to have like two more kids after that is was that that yeah so it was like i said it was the start of the pandemic and during the pandemic man everybody was stressed you know mm -hmm. but the stress didn't impact us because we had a different mindset you know and that mindset allowed us to have an intimacy that most people didn't have you know we didn't so when you're forced to be at home with a person you don't care about, you're like sucking, man, uh, <laughs> you know, and for us, we like, oh, we finally get to have some quality time with each other and really learn each other and really grow. And we had uh, a lot of revelations that came from those experiences, a lot of truth moments, a lot of vulnerability. Brother, I revealed something to my wife that I've never revealed to anybody, you know, wow. and, and and she she saw me for like who I was and she 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 embraced me instead of shunning me and pushing me away. And in those times when we really grow, we grow, we grew closer. Now, from intimacy, you know, intimacy isn't just physical; it's, it's mental and emotional, spiritual. But yeah. there's also physical, you know. What I'm saying? So, I think what 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 sparked us actually having another set of kids was she heard me do an interview in 2020 where I was talking. It was around Father's Day. I was talking, and somebody asked me like, "Matt, do you do you want a boy?" And I was like, "Of course, man. Of course, I want a boy, but I can't." asked my wife who's already gave me four kids for another one I, I understand what it costs and I don't want to you know mess around and have more twins you know what I'm saying? Like, or another set of triplets so I'm like whoa but she 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 heard that and in her own mind she already started preparing a place for us to actually create that reality wow and so uh it was with her best friend I did the interview you know her best friend have has a podcast called um from the streets to the something podcast i can't remember but on that podcast where i revealed that i really wanted a son and 2020 was when i spoke about it 2021 you know we got pregnant 2022 the boy came and we decided that we didn't want him to be the only one i was the youngest and you know i always get son like go home man you can't hang out with us you know what i'm saying so we wanted him to have somebody to grow up with and so we decided to you know double back and have another one no. so, but but but, but I, I, think I know you no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, this last point was, I think, 
during the time period, I think what we understood was that not a lot of people wanted to produce because the world was on fire is what they were saying. Right. And it was like, how could you bring a child into this world when you realize all that's going on? And our answer was always that we're not bringing them into the world. We're bringing them into our home, which mm. is a loving space, which is a caring space, which is a compassionate space. So yes, yes, they're in the world, but they have us and they have the atmosphere that we're intentionally creating for them to allow them to thrive mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Awesome. Mm. What what I was gonna say was I knew you, I knew you wanted a boy when when my son Jojo was born and we came to your, your crib and the way you were holding him I said boy Matt want that boy he want that boy yeah man yeah man yeah man you know bro 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 I used to have I used to have nightmares Jono nightmares in my head that I forgot how to throw a football you know and my dream I used to be like Ugh. and it's like my hand wasn't working you know and I think it was subconsciously me not having a boy. I'm like, man, I love throwing a football. I love what it feels like to throw a catch. And I'm like, I don't have a boy to throw a football around with. Not to say I can't do it with my girls, but it's just different. You know, I could drill them. They're like, you ready? Oh, get that, you know, get that, get that spiral. So in my mind, I was like lose, losing the idea, like, like grieving the idea of actually having a boy. Until my wife, she was in a different space, man. She was the healthiest she's ever been during the pandemic because of what she was working and how she's working on her mental, spiritual, and physical as well. And the same thing for me. So we just shot the shot. We're like, all right, let's see, man. You know, we've been fortunate to have healthy kids. And then we doubled back and doubled down and had both kids at home. Mm. Just her and I, you know? So that's another thing that was like totally different from what we experienced before. We had these kids at the crib, my hands delivered, you know, just her and I. And those experiences were magical as well, spiritual, magical, whatever you want to call it. But it was definitely something that allowed us to really live what we were practicing. Uh, the idea of we're always covered and we're always good. And, you know, the kids are here safe and they're healthy, they're thriving. And it's a testament to where we were mentally, spiritually in the relationship that we had, the trust she had for me. Because I've dropped passes before, brother. Like I, my hands ain't, <laughs> no. I've I've dropped a couple, you know what I'm saying? So I I it was intense for me to to to, to believe that I'm gonna be the person that actually delivers this child. So I had to do my work mentally, spiritually to get ready for that as well. And it was magical, man. Yeah. And that boy Matt scooped them babies out with that spoon. Yeah. Scooped them out <laughs> with the spatula. Yeah, man. Honestly, bro, it was easier than any pregnancies and deliveries we've ever been a part of. You know, the boy came within like, you know, labor was probably like an hour and some change and maybe like three or four pushes, the boy was out. He, he was like looking at us like, all right, what's next? You know? And mm -hmm. and the young girl, man, Mahali came out even easier. I think it was two pushes and we were, we were done, you know? And I promise you the, 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 the way we set up the environment was for the health of my wife first. She needed to be safe first mentally and emotionally to allow her to then feel like she had the strength, the capacity to do that and the trust in me. So her body recovered faster. You know, the babies were healthier. They didn't have to be, you know, brushed around this foreign place with all these lights in their face. The room was dark. It was intimate. We had incense. We had, you know, music in the background. The kids came in like five minutes, two minutes after the, you know, we're like, she's here. Our kids came in no sterilized hands, you know, this is real life, you know, and back in Haiti in the Bahamas, I was born at the crib, you know, and a lot of the pregnancies I'm sure were not all of them are 
so sterile that we can't necessarily be present, you know, like, honestly, man, I just didn't want another doctor creating, you know, more trauma on my wife, you know, like without caring and compassion, bro, that's, that's valuable stuff you messing with, you know, you're like, let me, let me get in there. <laughs> I'm like, bro, man, like, yo. I got to so, use that after, bro. <laughs> like, he like, yo, I'm not done. Let me get in there. <laughs> like, yo, my, my guy, like, yo. <laughs> so it's a different environment where you really get a chance to, to be there throughout the entire process of seeing that head pop out. When that head pop out, I'm like, okay, it's go time. You know, like, that's mm-hmm. when we, you know, we used to play tackle after that first hit, Jono. All right, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready, right? So... Seeing the head was like, oh boy, like, whoa, this is real. And just just letting yourself go and what you think you know to let your natural instincts really kick in. Yeah, yeah was- man. That's that's wow. That's that's a boy, let me tell you. <laughs> boy, that's a big chance, boy. I'm like, oh, no. I'm glad you guys were able to do it. And yeah. it, it, it it's a testament to how you guys, and I think that's how I would say this, I think that's how our family should be. It's like creating your your own world within your home, man. Right. And that's what you you guys are able to do, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing to see and to witness and to hear, man. Um, before we get off, though, you know, we're gonna wrap this up. I, I really want you to just give just this one word of encouragement and advice that you will give a man, black man that is that is struggling, like he's yeah. hearing this right now yeah. Yeah. and he's struggling. Yeah. What would that word of advice be? Man, I got you, man. It, it, the word of advice would be to prioritize your wellness, you know, make sure you're well. And what I mean by that is I, I, I don't necessarily fear for the success of the black man. I think we got it. You know, we have the intangibles to, to be successful in almost anything we put our hands in, you know? And when you look around the climate of business, whether it's, you know, medical, agricultural, whatever it is, there's going to be a black man at the top somewhere thriving, my issue or, or my concern is that we can, we're going to get to the top and not appreciate and not see the value based on us not being well. You could be at the top of the mountain still dealing with depression, anxiety, you know, uh, trauma, because you haven't had a chance to prioritize your wellness. So be well. Make that your number one priority outside of everything that you're a part of. It doesn't matter if it's your mom, dad, sister, brother. Your wellness is the most important because your wellness allows you to be the best version of you in any situation you're in. You know, so prioritize your wellness. That's your physical, your mental, your emotional, your spiritual. All of those areas consist of your wellness. So be well. And if you don't have the access to resources, reach out to this brother right here, Jono. Reach out to Jerry. They will plug you into the appropriate resources to start your wellness journey. Because it is a journey, man. I'm well right now, but can I get better? Yes. You know, and when I get there, am I going to be complacent? No. So the wellness journey is always something that I'm on. And that's the advice that I'd have, man. Prioritize your wellness. Be well. It doesn't matter what state you're in. You can still be well. You deserve it. You know, you deserve to be well in your mind, in your body, in your soul, in your spirit. And that's it. Awesome. Awesome. Matt, where can they find you? All right. Uh, so all things Matt Genius, you know, on all platform is always Matt Genius. That's M-A-T Jean, J-E-A-N. That's the Haitian in me. I-U-S is the hybrid, you know, it's the growth. And so Matt Genius on all platforms, whether it's IG, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Music is always going to be Matt Genius, M-A-T 
J-E-A-N-I-U-S. You know, give me a shout out. If you heard this and you liked it, come check out the page, listen to the music. There's a lot of artistry out there that I'm working on and, and getting to, to push some more stuff out. So please, you know, come solicit your boy's page. Matt, you a genius for this one. <laughs> yes, sir. Fork and knife, spoon and plate. Let's go. That's my jam, bro. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. We definitely appreciate you coming on. We love you. We appreciate you. We wish you blessings upon blessings. This was amazing. Thank you for showing up, being transparent, being honest. We must do this again. Yes, sir. Let me know, man. You know I got you. Jerry, I appreciate yes, you. Sir. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. Blessings and love, my brothers. Peace. I'm about to make a meal. 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 So my children won't eat cereal. I'm about to make a meal. Told my wife that she can chill. Kitchen fire's hot, stirring pots with no parental supervision. I'm the chef, I'm the chief. I dictate what gets served. So relax and sit back, take some notes and observe. Serving lamb, serving steak for dessert, serving cake with some ham and some crepes. I got options, choose and take. Finger food on display, serving crackers, chips and dip with some rock and some vodka as the options for the sip. That's not it. When I'm done, I get up out my seat, go outside, choose a car, many choices from my fleet. Cash flow up on the rise, making bank pockets deep. So I choose not to snooze, making moves while you sleep. Passive income coming in, wealth in progress, funds are loading. Compound interest with some assets, leads a giant, massive holdings. I go hard for my kids, going in for my seed. So they'll have several homes, no student loans, but mortgage deeds. So I gotta make this. Make this, make I'm this about to make a meal. For real. Uh, I'm about to make a meal. I'm about to make a meal. I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to make a meal. Make a meal, make a meal. On the stove, in the field. In my mind, running drills. Execute everywhere. everywhere.
Every day, every sec, gave it all, plenty left What I want, I can get, here I am, never left Keep my mind clear, factory, all of my brilliant ideas All of machines work, shout out to Fonte for spitting that verse This is for legacy out of the dirt, up in my presence Cause I know my worth, adding on taxes on top of the cost This shit more value, more profit than loss, African Haitian Knowledge it wasn't for making a meal to making a million Licking more tasso and I'll do the dishes If I need more sauce, checking in with the missus Family and friends, a fortunate spirit by land and by sea I was born in the trenches, just murdered this yeah. beat and I'm killing yeah. them business yeah. Yeah. I'm about to make a meal 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 Thank you so much for joining us. And I just want to remind you one more time, please subscribe and share this podcast with as many people as possible. But until then, until next time, be blessed, keep healing, keep moving, keep growing.